Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 282 of the Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. Stephen Bradley sitting in for Matthew Wade as, as you would have known, listener, there's been a little bit of a gap between the last couple of episodes because Matthew Wade has learned lesson number one about having a child. Is that because Matthew Wade has said all week he'll edit the pod, he'll record the pod, he'll host the pod and his kid has shown him that he does not give a damn about schedules because kids never do so as i've stepped in at the last minute because i've had my sister's five kids and well five's more than one and i've got a lovely setup here you know screens everywhere to do my job and on one screen all week there's been roblox and on the other screen there's been Fortnite. so no work for me no work for matthew wade but we're here it's a saturday afternoon manchester city have lost to leeds even though leeds have had 10 men so we've actually got something to be proud about and something to be a little bit happy about and a little bit of optimism because good God, Arsenal haven't given us any this week. So Anita Sambal is here to try and cheer us up. Anita, good luck. <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> and and joining us this week, his first appearance on the podcast is the Arsenal editor, Tony Parks. Tony, how are you, sir? Toby. I'm good. It's, it is Toby, but uh, I am very good. Thank you. Um, I, uh, yeah, it's really, really good to be here. I'm, I'm hoping this is like a good audition to, uh, to be able to join the 300th episode, which is a massive yeah. milestone. I, um, I, I'm yeah. saying this now. I've I've called him Toby. I'm going to end up calling him Tony Parks because the old Blackburn manager is going to be in my head. I'm saying <laughs> this now. So I, I, I'm an old man. I'm apologising in advance for butchering your name, Squire. No, I, I get it. I get it a lot. And do you know what? I prefer Tony. Sometimes I, when I'm when I'm feeling extra hard, um, like last last summer. I actually shaved my head um, just because I think it was the it was kind of a thing going along. Couldn't get a haircut. So it was the easy thing to do. And I got called Big Tone as if I was like a, a local Big Tone, you know. So I, I, I do suit it. So I'm either Toby when I'm maybe being a bit more analytical. And if I'm being a bit more brazen, then Big Tone. See, I, 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 I grew my hair out about six years ago, like right down to my shoulders. And for a year, nobody said anything. And then one day, one of my one, one of my friends, one of my female friends, came up to me and said, "Stephen, you know, like you look like one of the hairy bikers." And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, this is gone." And then as soon as I got it chopped to like you know almost a skinhead, you know, short back in size it is now, everyone came up to me and went, "Oh, you look so much better now! It's fantastic!" Like I've been like this for a year. Hell, <laughs> didn't any of you say anything? I look like a scrub. But uh, but that's that's the thing. I think. Frankly, like going towards Arsenal, that might be what's happening right now because Arsenal are in a rut right now. You know, a disastrous performance against Liverpool and something not much better against Slavia Prague. And Anita, like you are the voice of optimism. You are the, the, the smile that lights up the world in this part. I know I'm Mr. Negativity, but like, ha, like what's their good from Arsenal this week? Like, tell me something because Christ, I can't find anything. I don't know. I've, I've been struggling for a while now as well. Uh, even thinking that the way Arsenal are performing and playing every match makes me not want to watch other football either. During the, I used to watch you know, everything that was on, on TV, all the Premier League matches and everything, and I was just like, I'll, I'll just go through the Arsenal match and then do something completely different <laughs> for the, the rest of the day. I'm, I'm really struggling. Maybe... One positive thing this week, perhaps, was the Balogun gossip and that he's about yeah. to sign a new contract, maybe that. Uh, but the rest, I mean, yes, you mentioned that City lost to, to Leeds and conceded in the dying minutes, even though they had a extra man during the whole second half. That's fantastic, but this that only means that Leeds are ahead of us on the Premier League table. <laughs> yeah, which is just... I'm I'm not sure really how to how to feel about this because I really like Mikel Arteta. Everyone who's been listening to the pod and following me on Twitter knows that that I don't mind him as as I like him as a as player as the leader and uh, when things work out as a manager as well. But I'm not really sure now. You know, I'm torn a bit. Does he need more time? Did we see what we had to see uh, regarding his uh, cap- capabilities as manager? I'm really not sure how to feel about that. I think that sums up the vast majority of the fan base, Toby, right now, to be honest, because we saw what he tried to do against Liverpool. It was back to that 5-2-3 that was working before Project Restart that won the FA Cup with 
Kieran Tierney as a centre back at a back five and Saka as your left wing back that joined the attack. And he tried doing the same trick except with Aubameyang in Saka's role and it was hopeless. It didn't work at all. Aubameyang's not a left wing back in any way, shape or form and Trent Alexander-Arnold looked like the right back he used to be two years ago. Marauding up and down would not a care in the world for anyone attacking behind him and then he goes to Real Madrid three days later and lays an egg. And then... Thursday against Slavia Prague, he goes, right, that's not going to work because Kieran Tierney's out for at least a month. I'm going to need someone to link up the play, but Martin Odegaard isn't fit. So I'm going to play Lacazette as a false nine in the hope that both my wingers join in like Salah and Mane do. And Saka did a good job, but then he picked Willian, who wouldn't run behind a backline to save his life. And that didn't work either. And we're constantly told, you know, trust the process, like the Philadelphia 76ers and but is it a valid question to ask Toby whether Arteta trusts the process himself because he's consistently putting players in jobs that we know and I can only assume that he knows they can't do? It's a hard one. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm the same as you, Anita. I was born uh, with an unfortunate disease called chronic optimism when it comes to Arsenal. So I always I, I always sort of ride the negative wave when it's a bad result. And then by the next game, I've thought about the positive things about what can happen. And it's an interesting one with Arteta. I mean, we've had the injuries and I think what that's kind of shown us is that he he trusts his own process, but only with the right players. And when the wrong players get injured, he he seems scared. I mean, and I think that seems to exuberate onto the players. I mean, we looked at, we looked at everybody. As soon as we scored that goal, we were terrified. I mean, they were shitting themselves from start as soon as they'd scored that goal. Um, you know, the energy they had when they brought on those substitutions was very good. I think Arteta made them too late. Again, maybe he was a bit scared. But I mean, he really sort of tended to like abandon his own principles, really. I mean, when he's been playing out from the back, surely, sure, we've had like, you know, a few errors throughout the season and maybe it's led to a couple of goals because we've got uh, a very important player, but a very like uh, annoyingly frustrating player in David Luiz who can maybe bop it to the wrong player. Granite Shack is very similar, who can give the ball away when we're playing out back. But, you know, he's abandoned those principles. And what we saw on Thursday night, he was just booing it along every time. So he clearly... I don't know if the players can maybe feel it, but it's very, very obvious that he doesn't trust you know, that back four that we saw on, on Thursday night with playing it out from the back and humping it long to 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 Pepe. You know, well, well you know, he came on, but you know, it's it's yeah, it, I've I've seen him sort of abandon it. But in terms of how I feel about Mikel Arteta, it's 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 very, very difficult. I'm a very glass half full kind of person. Um and with with Arteta, I think we knew what we were buying into. He's a young manager. He he seems to speak really well, which is something you know Emery definitely, definitely didn't do. And there's a process, and we've seen it. And in terms of trusting it, I believe I believe there's something good happening. Uh, I think he has been let down by players at certain points, but he's also made some really weird decisions. And the one thing that really sticks out is the it's the bloody Willian situation. Like, what? It's just I I don't. He had a sort of good run for a couple of games, but definitely no more than that. Definitely no better than Pepe, no better than Martinelli. Um, and obviously, Aubameyang being played on the left, I think it's come to its come to its end. So I'm I'm like you. I'm in a very, very torn situation, but maybe Mikel Arteta needs a bit more time to figure out whether or not he's the right man. And look, Edu is getting let off a very short leash here right now because we have no backup left back. None. Like Cedric was brought in to be backup right back and now he's backup left back as well. If not, maybe even first choice right back at the moment, depending on Bellerin's selection policy. And missing a left back, missing a le like we've gone so far towards buying left footed centre backs, you know, Pablo Mari, Gabriel. Like the, the fact that he would like William Saliba plays left centre back the same way Virgil van Dijk plays left centre back. But he doesn't want a right footed left centre back. So Saliba's going, well, yeah, but that's where I play. That's where I'm good. And Arteta's good, but screw you, off to Nice you go. I don't want you. Like it's it's decisions like that that in January are now almost showing their teeth because when Tierney goes out, there's no one to replace what he does. And maybe there's no one close that replaces what he does anyway in terms of talent, but it, at least someone that can replicate it to an extent, like getting in Patrick and Van Anhold for a couple of million. Like I know Galatasaray have offered him a three year deal, but even on loan to the end of the season, just to cover Kieran Tierney's eventual injury that he's just going to pick up because he's so unlucky so that you don't have to play your star striker your captain your biggest earner at left wing back 
you know, because you've got someone else in the squad. Like, we forget that last summer, every Arsenal fan, every one of us were begging, pleading, screaming, please sign him, please sign him, we need him. And Arsenal going, okay, we agree. We think we need him as well. We need, we're going to give him the captaincy. We're going to wheel out Ian Wright to tell him that he could be the next Thierry Henry, that if he plays well for four or five years, there's going to be a statue outside of him. And then we play him up front one out of every three games he plays. Like, at some point, you have to start looking at all the decisions that Arsenal have been making over the last year and go, eh, I'm not too sure this is exactly the plan that they wanted. Yeah, it's the plan they're giving themselves. And I'm not sure how much I want to trust in that. It's a really odd one. I mean, Aubameyang has hit some kind of low point over the few matches uh, during this, this season, this year, but started to look look great again in Europa League uh, in the last round and scored a few goals in a few matches. And then now he's again being benched or played on, on a completely wrong position. And I'm really not sure how to how to feel about it. Is it something happening behind the scenes? Because we we've seen the, the being late and all that stuff. Or I'm I'm I don't know how how does playing Lacazette up there is better decision than playing Obama young there? It's hard. I mean, yeah, is it, I can see the logic behind it. I can see how they've arrived at that conclusion, particularly this week. I mean, Lacazette. We know he's had his off days, he's had his brilliant days. But recently, to be fair to him, he has been playing pretty well. Um, you know, the flip side of that is that we knew that Slavia Prague would be playing a high line. So, but I guess that it maybe it was fan pressure. Maybe Arteta caved to the fact that people were calling for Aubameyang to be dropped because of all the things he just mentioned. The fact that he was being late. And when you've got when you've got a slightly flashy outside lifestyle, as soon as anything happens on the pitch that makes you appear lazy, everyone's going to call on that, and that's when you're late and things like that, and when you're captain. Um, I didn't get that impression, to to be honest. I've I've seen more people calling for Lacazette being dropped and lazy and yeah. sold and that's get true. rid of rather than Aubameyang. I've seen more people asking why is he playing playing there? Why isn't he starting and and that rather than you know having him dropped. Maybe I'm following different people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I, yeah, I guess it's it's difficult. I mean, it's so Abamyang just hasn't really been cutting it from the left when he was last season for whatever reason. It was a slightly different setup. But as you're saying, Stephen, you can't you can't expect him to track back with Trent Alexander Arnold and expect him to make running behind. And he ends up doing neither because maybe he is 31 and maybe he is losing his legs a tiny bit. But I, I actually looked at some some stats. Uh, none of which I can remember, which is great. But I remember the 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 um the the, the vibe of them basically. And uh, Arteta's actually got Abamyang to a higher expected goals rate this season than he did last season. So he's getting Abamyang in better positions. But Abamyang's just not been putting him away like he was last season. And uh, so I guess it's very difficult to to account for that. But he's been actually uh, scoring a couple of goals when he's been playing in the centre forward position. So the question is whether or not we almost forgive Aubameyang for his slightly lazy performances. And I'm not one that buys into the whole, uh, he's he's given up or anything like that. You know, I, I I don't personally believe that, but he has looked a tad lazy. So I wonder if playing him up top, well, this is a quite almost quite an easy conclusion, you know, play, play, play a, a world-class striker up top, he might score a few more goals. Yeah. Or to your, maybe to more to your point, play a, a midfield that can actually get him balls over the top. And don't play Pepe and Willian either side of him, both of them who can't. You know, like every time we've played Aubameyang up front, it's always either been with, you know, we've never seen Smith Rowe, Odegaard, Saka, Aubameyang. And you would you would imagine that that would be the front four that maybe fits together the best, but he won't play that because he thinks Lacazette is needed to bring, to come back and join in. But you need players running forward. Like it's... I, you said the word scared earlier, Toby, and I don't I don't think he's scared. I think he's just too cautious. He doesn't want to give the other team too many chances to counterattack because he knows how susceptible we are to counterattacks. But Tim Stillman made a great point a couple of days ago, well, after the, after the Slavia Prague game, is that everyone's slating Lacazette for missing that one chance, which, yes, we all know he should have scored, but he had one chance. And if you're going to give a centre-forward one chance a game to score, then that's not on the centre-forwards, that's on the manager. And it's it's getting to the case where 
we're limiting the amount of chances both teams have and then still expecting our center forwards to take them at the same rate yet it's a bit like a lottery the more tickets you have the more chance you have of winning yet arteta seems to want to limit the other team so much like he did against liverpool and like he did against slavia prague where he picked sides to limit the other team's play he picked a side against liverpool at five at the back to make sure that they didn't get crosses in and it didn't work he picked a team against slavia prague that wouldn't give away the ball because he expected the high press and after 10 minutes we all looked at that slavia prague team and said they're not high pressing they're sitting back and he didn't change it for another 60 minutes like that's that's the issue i have without head it's not that he doesn't see it it's that he takes way too long because he's almost like you said scared of changing it just in case it's for the worst yeah it's true it, it really is and i've i've noticed it in in him a, a couple of times but um and those substitutions need to come earlier i mean we can we can all see it um you know when yeah. when something isn't set up several right. matches in several matches, mm. matches. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just really i mean it it's that and the fact that he like that literally screams orders at players how to play where to pass where to run it also i think makes players kind of scared you know to to think for themselves and try something that maybe they would think would be a better idea and then they have to listen to what he says i'm not sure if uh, i've obviously never played football on the pitch and you know had a, a coach or something not sure how that um, makes players feel and think about the match do they, you know, are focused to listening to what he says and following what he he says, or is, is restricting them for from thinking about the the match, the game, the what to do next? It's actually a really interesting point. I've never really thought of it like that, but I suppose because there's no fans, he's had that opportunity. And I actually, I now that you say that, I remember I think one of the first jobs I had when I was sort of doing my emails and everything. One of my bosses was just over my shoulder every time, just a micromanager. And I hated it. I couldn't stand it, you know, and I couldn't almost felt like he was dictating everything I was doing and relate, relate that to football. I wonder if these creative players and these players that, you know, could express themselves in theory, we've got an unbelievable front form interchangeable. That's really, really powerful. And um, maybe that micromanaging from the side of the pitch is, is detrimental to that. Well, he's got that from Pep hundred <laughs> percent. No, like seriously, like there's the great story of, if you've ever seen um, the uh, Give It pa uh, Give It Pass It uh, documentary on Barcelona from 2009, mm -hmm. uh, Thierry Henry is talking about when he was in the side with Pep. It was so structured, getting you up to the final third, that you had to put the ball in certain places, certain times, and once you got the ball in the final third, you could do what you want. Uh, they had a centre back again. I'm showing my age called Dmitry Chigrinsky that they bought from Dynamo Kiev, Ukrainian player, really good. And he was playing centre-back and they were at Villarreal and Ibrahimovic was up front. And Chigrinsky lobbed three fantastic 60-yard balls over the top of the defence. And he missed Ibra by, I'd say, a foot, three times. And Ibra was in. And Ibra, every time he, he did that, Ibra would turn around and applaud him. Because it's like, that. those are unbelievable balls. I'll get on the end of one of them. They're fantastic. Uh, Pep took him off at half-time and never picked him again. Said, that's not the... <laughs> That I told you, I've told you the way I want to play. That's not the way I want to play. You're not listening to instructions. Hook off. Never picked mm -hmm. him again. And you can see that almost in the way Arsenal are playing, where now, again, it works from time to time. It worked twice against Slavia Prague. They literally just passed through the press, out to the left, into the centre midfielder, to Lacazette, one ball, into Saka, and Saka's away. It happened two, maybe even three times. But they're so drilled into that, that when that opportunity isn't there, they freeze. It happened 92 minutes into the game. Cedric has the ball, head down, left wing, looks up, no one. There's literally no one free. The midfield has gone 20 yards further up because they don't want the ball. They're, trying, they're, all, they're not hiding, but they're behind a man going, oh yeah, you may pass it to someone else. Cedric looks up, realises in his head, if he hoofs it, he's going to get in shit with the manager. So he passes it back because that's what he's told to do with Granite Jacket roaring in his ear, get fucking rid of it. And it goes to Gabriel. Now the high press comes. Gabriel goes, well, I don't want it. Hoofs it, goes out for a throw. They get a bit of pressure, goes for a corner. No one takes responsibility on the corner. It's one off. And yeah. that's the level of, like I said, that's the, that's where fear gets in. That's where when you're over drilled and you're over, you're over man managed. 
And it's Arteta wanting to almost babysit this team through things. It's like it's why I said at the start, we're asked to trust this team, and it just doesn't look like he trusts them himself. No. So he got he got the micromanagement from Pep and waiting with subs until 70 minutes from Wenger. Yeah. And and look, Pep does <laughs> it all the time. Pep does it all the time. Like Pep will pick a team and you're looking at it and going, what the hell is this? Like remember Leon last year. It, like first time in two years against Leon and Pep picks five at the back. And you're like, what is this man doing? Oh yeah, well they play five at the back, so I'm countering it. Leon are going, yeah, yeah we're playing five at the back because we're scared. <laughs> we're not very good. But because Leon knew how to play it and City didn't, Leon walked all over them and bet them three one. Like it's 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 amazing how not the cult of a manager, but it's amazing how a manager can influence a team with little things like that. And it's that side of management that Arteta is still learning. And it's to what extent us fans should expect to learn from him and how much patience we should have to give him the time he needs to learn that whilst losing. Mm. I I find this argument probably the most interesting because we as fans are all very demanding. I mean, and rightly so, because that's kind of what we're here for. We want to see wins and everything like that. And Arteta is part of this project and we keep calling it a project we keep calling it a process which is sometimes quite hard to digest as a fan but really some of these like systemic issues we've got have come from long long time a long long time of you know having quite an easy to go club we've got a lot like a lot of players who are ingrained in this kind of mentality so Arteta's got a job that you don't really see too many managers getting the opportunity to do. I mean, United needed to do it for a long time. They may be seeing the end of it now, or maybe they haven't even done it, but they've got, he's got to gut out not only a whole load of players from a squad, but also a culture, a really bad stinking culture that we had for probably about 10 years. So I do forgive him in that sense. And when he, and I think that's where we have to kind of, this is why I think actually, I think we should almost take the losses and start looking at thinking, not that we have to take all the losses to an extent, but I'm trying to look at the bigger picture and, you know, getting rid of that clique with the Ozil, Mustafi, Kovacinac, all that sort of stuff um, and making very brave decisions. And the way he talks and making very, very, very confident, well-spoken opinions about not letting things happen. He's got his fundamentals or the non-negotiables, which apparently sometimes are quite negotiable when it comes to Willian. But like, I, yeah, so there are, for, I can forgive him at points. And I do think back to, I mean, you know, that he won the trophy. And really, from be- from between Boxing Day and about, I don't know, three weeks ago, I was thinking this guy's brilliant. I mean, it took him a long time to figure out that Emil Smith-Rowe was there when we all figured it about a 10 day, 10K before Boxing Day. But in general, um, we have this balance that we've got to like figure out between, because Emery didn't have a clue. He didn't have any structure and we hated it. Arteta now maybe has too much of a structure, but maybe he's figuring that out. But he was playing well until very recently. And compared to both the end of Wenger and Emery, Arteta's now making more chances, good chances. And again, look at the XG stats, which is, you know, I think pretty good, but obviously it has its flaws. Um, So he's making more good chances and conceding less good chances. The issue is we've still got those players that we rely on, like Louise and Xhaka, that really let down his process. Um, And he's, you know, you've got people like Aubameyang who aren't scoring the goals that he would have done last season. So I almost think what else could he be doing? But then you look at it as a, you know, in a microcosm and you look at the small elements and he's making these weird decisions within that, not playing Martinelli as much, playing Willian when he's playing really badly, playing people out of position. Um, and yeah, it, it become really, really, really frustrating. And, you know, we can all say all these good things about Atessa, but then look today, Leeds have won. They're three points ahead. And uh, Aston Villa have got a game in hand. I think they're playing now and we're 11th. So I, I don't really know where to sit as a fan. There's a brain, uh, the, my heart is telling me like, fuck's sake what are we doing let's just get get rid of him but when when i see like the longevity and the the kind of improvements generally i find it uh yeah i find it encouraging weirdly i don't know what you think it's it's very much like how Solskjaer is going about it united except with better results for united like united fa- yeah and more mm-hmm. money like united are united fans are desperate for Solskjaer to succeed at Manchester United because they like him, because he's mm-hmm. one of theirs, because he did so well as a player. And if 
Unai Emery was doing this at Arsenal with these results. If he lose, if if Arsenal lose to Slavia Prague next Thursday, and it's Unai Emery in charge, everyone would call for his sacking. Everyone, oh, definitely. Yeah, I think they would have done already. They might have already. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, I I completely agree. So that we have to bear that in mind. We are giving Mikel Arteta the significant benefit of the doubt because we like him. Because, like you said, he's a fantastic orator. He's great at espousing his belief system and the way he wants to play. And we all, you know, we're all romantics. We all fall in love with it. We all go, oh, yes, we'd very much like that, please. We'd very much like to, to both win and be brilliant at football. But when you're watching, you can't help but feel that, I'm not sure. You know, like when you get new builders in and they talk the talk and then you see them mixing cement the wrong way and you're going... Mm. Mm. I, I I shouldn't really have asked my cousin to do this, should I? But you don't feel, you, but you won't go out and say it to him. You'll just hope that it was just a one-off mistake, and he'll figure it out. And the house that he builds for you will be fantastic. But God, you're there sitting there with gritted teeth and going, "Please don't fuck this up. Please don't fuck this up. Please don't fuck this up." You know, and that's where Arsenal are right now. We're hoping to God that he doesn't fuck this up. Do I have faith that he won't fuck this up? <laughs> well, I'm still, you know, holding for that one. Are the players letting him down? Because these are the players that have been letting down Naya Emery and even some Arsene Wenger when he was last here. Obviously not, you know, like Sir David Luiz, Villian and those that have been signed more recently. But still, you know, as you both mentioned, the strikers that should be scoring opportunities that that team does create and all that all together. But then I remember the, the Slavia Prague match and think if only he made the subs like 10 minutes earlier, not at halftime or anything, we, we would be having a completely different podcast right now. Yep. And that's the problem. Like that's it's when everyone started going Wenger out, it wasn't because of the results, because the results, had, they were slightly going downhill for three years, but it started getting to the point where he was making minor errors but as i kept saying those are errors that i can see like arsene wenger is a man who has forgotten more about football than i will ever know as i've said a hundred times but when i can see mistakes he's making i'm going hang on a minute like i like i wouldn't do that like you know and it was it was getting to the stage where it's like look we need someone who knows his job and knows what to do and can handle the situations that arsenal can only put arsenal in and Wenger eventually couldn't do it. You know, Emery never had a chance of doing it. And currently, Mikel Arteta is barely head above water dealing with it. Because mm-hmm. every time he puts out one fire, two fires start behind him. And I, I thought I thought Wenger was, like, towards the end, like you say, results were not great, um, but not bad in, in, in the grand sense of things. But you could see that this, like, culture just... It was just going on too long. We needed a change, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It just was time, and I, I love Wenger's pieces. I think it was two or three years too late for leaving, but it needed a he change. Have, but I, then... I still stand by the, the that he should have gone after that FA Cup in two thousand fourteen. That would be 100%. just you know perfect perfect ending. Yeah, exactly. It would have been a nice way to end. It wouldn't have been that fallout and you know all that sort of stuff, and it just got really toxic in fans. But then, I think what we really wanted from Wenger going because he's been there for so long, we just wanted like a massive change because the culture, as we just said before, was all this and all that. And I just don't think Emery had the communication skills or the pull power, no matter how tactically we'll call him inept or whatever, but like he just, none of the players believed in him. I don't think he had it in him to maybe change a long-term project. I think he could win a game from here to here. And actually his first season was pretty good to be fair to him. But this is why I think Arteta's getting more time, right? I think he... And I've spoken about how well he talks, but I think that really reflects on the players. I think the players love him. And he's got a pull factor. I don't know where that's come from, but he seems to. Party wanted to play for him. I don't know why the hell he would want to play for Arsenal. Um, So I wonder, I wonder, I've just kind of thought, I wonder wonder if Arteta is like, I wonder if he's not, um, if he's a good project manager, but he's not a good manager to get the best out of the players he's got. Um, The question is whether you think we need to be getting the best out players we've got now, or we need to think about the long term and just completely rehaul the club, rehaul the club, which we did need to do, or if it's somewhere in between. And well, what's the alternative? What 
who would you who would you get? What would you do? You know, <laughs> I I I will answer that question. But beforehand, we're just going to take Uh-oh. a quick commercial break. Hello, everyone. Stephen Bradley here, and I'd like to take this moment to talk to you about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. Number one, it's free. Two, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. It's how I'm editing this pod that you're listening to right now. Three, Anchor would distribute your podcast for you as well. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many more platforms. Not only that, but you can make money from your podcast too with no minimum listenership. Fantastic. It's everything that you need to make a podcast all in one place. For more details, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M and everything will be in place for you to start your own podcast and make money from there. And now, back to the show. You're welcome back. To answer Toby's question before we we left for the fantastic commercial break, what's the alternative? Um, I said when Arsene Wenger left that, the way to judge whether someone needs to leave their job is whether you can find an adequate replacement. And obviously for years, there was no such thing as a remote replacement for Arsene Wenger, never mind an adequate one. And it got to the stage where almost anyone would do so you know, so badly were things going. And then when you know Emery comes in, it's like, okay, let's give him a chance. Let's see what he wants to, bi- to do and what's to build. And after... Even though he got to a Europa League final, watching them be hopelessly outclassed by Chelsea and then the start of the season playing utter dross, it was very clear that, no, he's not building anything here. This is muck. We can bring in someone else here. We're now a year and a half into Mikel Arteta's reign at Arsenal. And as Toby asked, what's the alternative? The question has to be asked, can someone else come in and do what we want, which is to come in, build a system, build a unique style of play, play good football and deal with a dressing room that needs sorting out. And I just saw Leeds win at Man City. And And Villa are up at Liverpool. And Villa are up at Liverpool. And I obviously know I wouldn't take Dean Smith. But would I take Marcelo Bielsa? Yep. Like if if you said right now Arteta's going to leave at the end of the season, Marcelo Bielsa's going to be at the start of the next season, would you take him? It would scare me because he concedes a lot oh, of goals. I, yeah. Uh, oh, no, it would, <laughs> it would, it would absolutely yeah. frighten me. But mm. like, but that's that's, that's where question. I am. Like, it's it's can you guarantee? Like, if Julian Nagelsmann comes in from Red Bull from Red Bull Leipzig, would you take him? Like the, these are the questions because he's already already been linked with the Tottenham job and he and he reportedly has said yeah I'd love the Tottenham job. Like Arsenal still have pull. Arsenal will still have they still have a budget that's you know comparable to a Bayern Munich to a, a Juventus to that sort. Like they will still be able to have money to spend. Any manager worth their salt will come in and have forty fifty million to spend in the summer and that's even with COVID and then with a, a dressing room that you could easily make another 50, 60 million from. It's a very, it's still, a, even if Arsenal finish 11th, which is where they are right now at 10, 10 to 4 on a Saturday afternoon, if they finish 11th, they could still go and get a quote unquote world class manager from somewhere. And I suppose the question I'm asking you is that is it worth giving Arteta another year knowing that there's a group of managers out there that you could get that could do a better job? Uh, is it really is it really could get i mean we know that they i mean I, i'm always thinking that not many are willing to you know leave or you know change change positions or that and especially if we end in mid-table it's, it's a big big job even though as you say there is some money involved and all that and i was never really a fan of changing managers you know every season and doing starting starting over uh, every single season Obviously, it has been a year and a half now, but I think even though I see lots of flaws in in Arteta and everything, I don't. I still think that it's not all on him. It's a bit players. It's a bit uh, those above him in the club and the whole board and everything situation. And obviously, he hasn't had a stellar 
first full year first season with the covid and everything really unprecedented uh, circumstances and all that so i'm i guess i'm that kind of person that would rather you know see what he can do and maybe wait a bit longer and then see what happens but i mean those two that you mentioned steven do do look so, like managers that i could go for you know mm. i could be okay yeah sure it's not Mourinho or, or someone like that, <laughs> or mm-hmm. Sam Allardyce, you know, someone that, <laughs> just, you know, type of managers, not, maybe even the Nuggets one, like a first choice, because he's also, you know, young and mm-hmm. up and coming manager. I wonder, I, I think that's a, I tend to agree with, with you, Anita, actually. I mean, I, I questioned what like a world-class manager, and I know the bracket we're talking about, I mean, all the way from Pep to Ancelotti and, and whatever, but Tottenham's a really good comparison because they've got a really good front three, maybe front two now, um, in Son and, and Kane. But the rest of them are pretty average players. And Mourinho is just getting to the point where he typically does, where he's getting really frustrated and it starts to come out in the media. So he's technically a world-class manager who can get teams winning trophies, which is great because he actually isn't at the moment. Um, but he's losing patience with the team. And I just wonder if we had like a world-class manager in Ancelotti, Pep, or, you know, whoever it would be, not the Pep would come here, then would they tolerate the players that they've got? Like the, uh, It's really hard to overemphasize like how systemic some of the issues are and the players are, the, the issues that they've got. I just wonder if they'd just be sick of it. I mean, Arteta, what I think he's got is is a long-term plan, and I think he's willing to stick to it. I don't think his head would be turned in the next season. And it's what we're willing to, it's what we're willing to, I guess, go through with Arteta to get to the point that we that I think we need to be at. And that's with a new squad with new ideas and the way he plays. It was only a few weeks ago I was, you know, praising Arteta for just how well Arsenal were playing. I mean, some of the build-up play was unbelievable, like you say. There's Mills to throw Saka or Odegaard in that three behind whatever striker it ended up being. I'd like to see a Bamiang, Martinelli, Balogun's now back as well, like I said. But it, I mean, it was really good, really good. So if we could have an upgrade on Xhaka, not have to rely on Louis, it just feels like we're we're closer than we think we are. But also, it just feels like we're a lot further away we are. And I just wonder that this season's going to be massive, right? Like it, it, like the last couple of seasons, we're going to get to a, some kind of final that it's going to mean probably Europe or no Europe, it's going to be stick or twist. Um, so it, it could well be an unbelievable season yet somehow. And Arteta seems to scrape out some really good wins against big teams, but maybe that's not been happening recently. I don't know. I, I It's 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 quite an exciting, it's, it's scary times. I nearly said exciting there, but I think I was really wrong. Um, it's scary time because it, it could suddenly go really well. And I, I, I actually, and this is the one thing, sorry, I did forget I wanted to say about Arteta, is that for some reason, and and I can kind of see why, but maybe something's happening behind the scenes that that maybe we can't, is that I think the players believe in him more than I've seen players believe in a manager at Arsenal in a long, long time. And I think that's resonating with the board. I think the board really believe in him. I think they really believe in him. <clears throat> and I wonder how far that goes up. You look at Karonki, okay, we don't like him. We don't like the whole thing that's going on there. But he ended up giving 50 million in the last day of the season to Arteta. I think they really believe in him. And now that Arsenal, let's say they finish 10th, let's say they don't get Europe next season, that's a real disaster. They would have no barely any money coming in next season. There could be no fans. Gronke's got a diminishing asset and it is plummeting. It is absolutely plummeting. So he can't sell it. What's he going to do? He's got to stick 100 million in or something like that. And now that is the optimism coming out of me. But... <laughs> You know, I mean, he's probably bought something, Kronke, thinking, oh, this is a Champions League club. Well, let's keep him there. Arteta's maybe going to do a jo- good job. But if the board believe in him, and ultimately then Kronke believes in him, maybe he'll get a lot of money. I mean, I don't know. Hey, it's, thoughts there? T- there's a lot of things you could, like the, the list of pros and cons in Arteta's you know, debit credit rating for the last year and a half is insane. Like, yes, he's been given no chance to train anyone really in a year and a half because of covid that he can't actually yes there's the bubble but you can't actually organize training camps or anything of that sort because you can't keep players together for more than two hours at a time you can't organize proper trips you can't organize you know even holidays together you can't organize team building operations together because nowhere is open so there's that he's had rotten injury luck like 
Kieran Tierney, God love him. He's the he's when fit, he's the best left back in the league right now. But we are getting dangerously close to Kieran Tierney's full name being Kieran Tierney hyphen when if. You know, when fit. Same with like, party. Same with party. Like it's it's you know, and you know, Emil Smith Rowe looks like he might be missing the Sheffield United game tomorrow as well. Like it's another another lad who just can't stay fit. And so that plays in. So you can give a lot of they're not excuses, but they are reasons why he's not able to get the optimum amount of this team. You then there's the you know the debit column, the Willian signing. The, the inability to put players in positions where they are active and effective at most. You know, there's consistently picking teams to play a conservative style of football, even though the team that they're playing does not press high. Like there's in-game management, in-game management, substitutions, etc., etc. Like there's so much you can balance off that cancel each other out that you're left a year and a half later thinking, I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't know whether it's going to go up or down. Like you said, it's not excitement; it's fear. It's exactly the feeling you have on top of a roller coaster. We're like, I hope to God this holds together. I hope to God the rail stays there. I hope to God that the seatbelt is holding me in. I hope to God, but you've no faith. You're there with a massive, like, open eye to go. Ah, and look, that's why we love sport because we don't know what's going to happen. But good is that God. how the players felt when they scored against Slavia Prague? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. And that's a problem. But that's that's where Arsenal are. And you'd like to give him more time. But right now, you're looking at a Europa Like, yes, Arsenal need Champions League money. And you're looking at a Europa League scenario where it's to get to a final against Manchester United, who you've had some success at, at playing. You've beaten them away. You've drawn with them at home. You've beaten them at home as well. I don't think Solskjaer's beaten us yet. No. And to get to that scenario where you've got Manchester United in a final of Europa League, because they'll beat Granada, they'll beat Roma, you've got to beat Slavia Prague and probably Villarreal. Like, if we're going to get an easier route to a Champions League final game than that next season? No, absolutely not. So... As much as we want Arteta to be given time, he does really need to take advantage of the golden goose that's been led in front of him right now. And I don't know if he will. I just don't know. Yeah, I mean, last season he had, you know, we were sitting in a very similar position with the FA Cup, weren't we? We had City and, uh, oh God, who was it? And obviously Chelsea in the final. Um, yeah. And that was looking bleak. And, you know, you, you do think with Slavia Prague, you think, surely like Villarreal surely and then we've got some kind of expectation against against United and and again I look I look back to the the season we were having and the way we were playing from boxing day um at the end of last year to, to now uh, or a couple of weeks ago I should say and I think the football we we're playing was great it was very exciting it was bar a couple of calamitous errors at the back like looked brilliant and were really good I actually between boxing day and the international break that was just very recently we would have been sitting third in the league and that's with some really rotten luck at the back. And I, if we'd been playing in that, and, and the reason why I bring that up again is just because there's a very, very definite formation player profile within that that we weren't using before and that we're actually stopped using now because of injuries. And it's like if Arteta can, and this is why I don't think that was a run of form necessarily. I don't think that was a, a fluke from Arteta. I think when Arteta has the right players at his disposable, disposal, I should say, and he's able to play the formation he wants in with the level of trust that he can have in that position, in that formation. I think he can do really good things, like really good. This is why I'm keen to keep him. But I really worry about him being able to get the best out of the players we've now got for the rest of the season to beat Slavia Prague because he clearly doesn't trust him. And that, and that scares the shit out of me, to be honest. Yeah. How much, say, look, worst case scenario, Arsenal finished 11th or 10th or 9th, but it doesn't really matter. They don't finish it. They, they don't play in Europe next season. How much change would you need to see in the squad? If you're, if you're going to give out head of the benefit of the doubt and go, right, okay, it's not just down to him. He is a problem because they finished 9th and we're not in Europe next season, but it's the squad's fault. How much of the squad would need to change for you to think, right, they're fixing this. They're at least on the right part. 
It's a good point. It's a really good question. <laughs> yeah, it's a really tough one. I mean, obviously, I, I would like to have the the team be built around the, the younger players like Emil Smith Rowe, Saka, Tierney, uh, holding chambers. I mean, I still count them as younger <laughs> players, Gabriel uh, in defense and Odegaard, if, if we can convince Real Madrid to let us have him. Uh, but other than that, I mean, obviously, I, I am a massive Jaka fan and I really like him and I, I still think of him more as a captain than Obama Young. But yeah, it, it's like Yotobi said, the fear factor <laughs> surrounding him. I would definitely want to see an upgrade on him. Uh, Lacazette, definitely. I would still like to keep, you know, Pepe and give him more, more chances. Obama Young, obviously, as a leading figure you know senior figure uh, in the club but the rest i really wouldn't miss that much no it's 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 the it's the age profile that annoys me i think that's the issue if we we if we bought some like a a, a good a good backup left left back for starters i think tierney is one of those that is coming into that good age even though he's very injured i think a really good backup i think a really good upgrade in the centre of midfield on Xhaka. And I love Xhaka and I think he's really important. But one of the issues I think we've got this squad, and that's the same with Louise, is that we like, rely on their, these players for all of their good qualities, knowing full well that we're going to pay for those good qualities at some point every 10 games when it's going to cost us a few points, which is such a shame because they really do fundamentally have such good attributes and they bring such good elements to our game, both defensively and offensively, really. Um, but unfortunately, I just do think those two players, they cost us too many points. And if we can get an upgrade in those areas, great. Anita, you said, you said it perfectly, like build a squad around around the young players. But we need to fill it in with players who aren't 36 slash 74, like Willian and Aubameyang. <laughs> and like a, a, a prime centre forward, a prime right back, I think. Um, I've been really, uh, I want to say disappointed, but like, actually quite upset about the whole Bellerin thing because I love that guy. He's Arsenal yeah. through and through. He loves the club. He just hasn't looked the same since his injury. And it really upsets me that his his defensive performances particularly have just been really, really worrying. And, um, you know, I, the fact that for me, both Cedric and uh, Chambers have kind of crept up on the pecking order compared to him is quite sort of telling. And and they're not the best, best players, um, although I'd like to see what Chambers can do maybe a bit more. So I think right, it was quite a lot of the squad, really. But I think if we, we need, if we're not going to sign Odegaard, we need somebody equally as creative as him at the right age again, like 25, 26, coming into their prime. Hasim, I've not really heard him much this season. So there's a lot to do. And I think we've got a lot to sell as well. But I think we, we're in a good position to sell a lot of players. And Katia, um, yeah, maybe Chambers, holding. Um, a lot of young English players. That will probably get Bellerin. I mean, we'll get yeah, some good money for him. I mean, that's the benefit. I mean, we'll sell him for, I reckon, maybe 20 million and maybe 25 if we're lucky. And that's good money for a player that we're actually not that set on, like, I haven't got a heart set on anymore. So there's there's a lot happening and we need a lot. But yeah, back up, back up left back, centre back, right back, centre mid, <laughs> up offensive centre mid and centre forward. <laughs> only centre that, only important. that. And that's it. That's easy. It's easy. You, but that, you, we know Bal Balogun's a big signing. I mean, I know that's the young again, but uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, but you, you you see the problem here. Yeah, <laughs> it's when you spell it out, I kind of realise how my optimism is maybe a little bit. Yeah, it's short. not much. It's just this and this and this. Just and this. just <laughs> just another just another full team. Mm, yeah, yeah. But, but what I would say, what I would say, is that I think our starting eleven, if they played fit, were fit all season, and we were lucky enough that tiredness didn't exist, I think they come in the top four. Yeah, but when does that happen? I mean, exactly. That's the issue. We, we don't know. have depth. They're a very, very, very thin squad. And Arteta had something like that. Arteta had something like that from, as you mentioned already, Boxing Day to three weeks ago or something, when mm. he, most of his team was uh, fit and ready and looked well and everything clicked and was as according to his plan. And then it's just the, the fact that if one thing goes wrong or one player is missing or two players are missing, it's just, you know, downhill. It's completely, like, different. And you're not sure what to expect when other team crosses the central line. So, so then, that makes me think, like, what, what would another manager do? Sorry, Stephen. No, 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 you're right. <laughs> like, like it's, a, it's a good shout. Like, it's the, that's the problem. Like, if, I, if I'm if going to say, yeah, let's bring someone else in, you're going to say, well, 
he's going to have to revamp the squad as well because he's going to want his own ideas and his own tactics and his own you know culture to bring in and his own scheme and and you're right and that's going to be the problem this year you know look outside no one has money like you know like real madrid and barcelona are literally emptying the sofa and tipping it upside down to try and get 50 cent together to try and give it to erling Haaland's father so that they can talk to him about signing <laughs> which and you know the the reports out of real madrid is that they want mbappe but if they can't get mbappe they want Haaland. and Haaland is Haaland's father is basically saying we ain't nobody's backup plan you either want sign him there's there, there is more chance of Jennifer Anderson finally answering my phone calls than there is. <laughs> but but that's... Well, come but on, that's, we're 12th in the Premier League. What else could they want? Yeah. You, you London, have, it's London. Lo- yeah. yeah. Well, that, but that's the thing. Like, like, I, like if, if we can convince Martin Odegaard to sign, that's exactly why. It's a lot of money and living in what I would consider to be the nicest city in the world. Like, it's, how Alexis, how, it's how we got Alexis Sanchez out of Barcelona, don't forget. You know, Liverpool wanted him as part of the Spurs deal. Inga walks in, do you want to live in Liverpool or London? He chose London. Like, it's it's as simple as that. So, like, the, we have, we will always have that in our back pocket. And it's going to, it's going to be a hard job raising the money to find the players that will fit Mikel Arteta's needs, that, that skill set that he needs, that will fill in the jobs that he needs to do. Because we're not going to be able to raise the amount of money we think we can. Like in our heads, we have a price of what we would sell Bellerin for and what we would sell Chambers for and what we would sell Nketiah for. And the market is going to show us very quickly that as much as we would want 20, 25, 30 million for Nketiah, everyone's going to look at him and go, hang on a minute, he couldn't get in the Arsenal squad for five months after Christmas. And they're desperate to sell him because he hasn't got long left in his contract. And... Look at Liverpool selling, you know, Abe and you know, uh, Rian Brewster for twenty five million, and them doing jacks. Oh, yes. Yo, like it's we're not making that mistake again. And then us going, well, okay, we'll we'll sell you Lacazette. We could do with ten fifteen million for him. And then they're like, we're not paying him two hundred thousand pounds a week. <laughs> Go away from us. We will, but yo, know, we'll take him for free. And now you're like, would you sell Lacazette for free? <laughs> like, like, would you? Would you? No, he's be- he's he's still he's still a good player. Like uh, if you're going to let him go for free, then at least get the last year out of him. <laughs> I you know, think like, he would yeah. be good for for Serie A. Oh, he's still he's still a really good player. He just doesn't have the legs to play in the Premier League. Yeah, like it's you know like we played him as a false nine against Slavia Prague, and it's it's in games like that that you realise, good God, Roberto Firmino's really good. You know, like because he could link up the play and catch up, and then be back in the pre- in the in the penalty box when the cross comes in from the from the right winger that you've just given the ball to. You know, like it's mm. it's that level of player Arsenal need. Yes, finding that player in a depressed market when everybody knows you need the player is going to be damn difficult. And I just wonder how many transfer windows Arsenal still need to fix their squad and whether that time frame and Arteta's time frame overlap. Yeah, that's the golden it's the golden uh, question, isn't it? I mean, I don't know, but we've got a lot of value in our squad that we want to sell. And I know, like having those young English, play, English players, this is why I was all for the holding new deal. I mean, I know he's never going to be our starting centre-back, I should say. Um He's just not quite there. I don't think anyway, but he's had a good run at points this season. But give him a new contract, he's worth a bit more. I mean, you know, he's a young English guy. They do go for a lot. But like you say, who are the buyers? Who are they? And where, where's that money coming from you know, from them? Yeah, true. <laughs> God. Maybe we could convince Liverpool to go another Oxley chamberlain as well. Well, Liverpool wouldn't take oh, Shakrader yeah. and Mustafi for free. <laughs> and they, they had no centre-backs at the time. And they're like, we're not that desperate. <laughs> and, and, and he's, he's been axed from the Schalke squad. Now. Yeah, and we offered we offered Mustafi a contract last October. Did we? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He turned it down. <laughs> that is. You don't depressing. know who, who is the who's the, the stupider side. Of yeah, this? like that. That's. <laughs> but he was another player that he he was he was just he had this good run. He, he, for me, is like the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer of a player because uh, when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a manager, I can say, because he he would like play really well for a bit 
until the point you were like, actually, do you know what? He's turning a corner. Yeah, brilliant. Let's let's keep him. And then he'd play terribly for 10 games and you go, get him out of the club, get him out of the club. And then just when you're about to ax him forever, he starts playing well again. And then he convinces the manager to play him in the team. And that's what Logan and Solskjaer, I think, is doing at Man United at the moment. But yeah, we've got a bit of history for that. Yeah, and that, but that's that's half the that's half the squad. Mm. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, you've, you've summed it up perfectly. That is exactly yeah. what the squad is, um, and maybe that's why Arteta needs the time to to change it. Because I mean, I don't know who else would be doing. I mean, maybe a, a different job. Um, well, look, that's, don't, don't it's hate impossible me for question. saying. Don't hate me for saying this, but maybe mm. a season out of Europe would do us actually really well. Whoa. No, no pressure. I mean, obviously, money would be the issue. Not playing really great games, you know, around Europe and all all that. Especially if the fans are allowed back. But you know, maybe for the whole process thing and less pressure, you know, building the team, focusing on the Premier League. I mean, it hasn't been that bad for Liverpool. It worked for Liverpool when Brendan Rodgers was there, and then Chelsea the year after. That's yeah. how that's how Conte won the treble. Where, where he, he lost to us and went, right, okay, I'm not playing four at the back anymore. Went to five at the back, won 13 straight, won the league because he was able to keep him in training all week and keep him fresh. Brendan Rodgers, he had a year where Suarez was unplayable, Sturridge was fit, and Raheem Sterling was playing as a basically as Saka, where it's like he'll just fit in and play really defensively and do all the, do, do all the dirty work and chip in with a few goals here or there. They scored 104 goals and nearly won the league. But they couldn't defend for toughies and conceded 54 and lost like it's to Nietzsche's point especially in covid ball where everyone's exhausted if you didn't have a european you know campaign to go through would it benefit you six months down the line absolutely it absolutely would but do, is that a trade-off you make so that you can stay out of europe for a year but you can't attract the caliber of player that you know you need without european football or do you or do you wait a year like it's yeah like do you trust this team as it as it is now to get fourth without european football next year wow um well it the the evidence points to that if we have our players fresh and i guess mm. with no europe you're you're more likely to have your players fresh and i mean they, i think it's like you get one point we would have got one point six eight points per game uh since boxing day to uh, the international break and that would have had us third so it's it's very 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 difficult to know um i mean the the sellings and transfers would, would still happen even though if, if we are out of europe it's yeah. not like no one would come and no one would go i think that that would also still be there will still be some changes and improvements i mean look at West Ham now for example they are not a spectacular team, not, not spectacular players. They are way up front in front of us. And even Leicester a few seasons ago, obviously different times, but still, you know, and every single season there is a, 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 a let's say, smaller team, you know, having a really good run and forcing for top four until, you know, April or uh, late in March or something like that. When you think, oh, maybe this is something new, something is changing, the, every, they, maybe they can do it or something like that. I think it's it's very possible, especially since I think that still we are bigger club, better team, and have Arteta is better manager, maybe <laughs> hypothetically than some others. And I think that it would be more possible uh, to get top four with players we have now without Europa uh, playing in Europa uh, than with players we have now and you know getting torn in Europa League over uh, weeks. Do you think anyone would go? Do you think anyone would be like, that's it, I'm, I've had enough of Arsenal? Because I, I can't think of any players that are on as little a contract. That's the uh, or insure, Yeah, because that, someone like Lacazette, Aubameyang, or all those sort of people, maybe Udegaard wouldn't stay. But I, don't, I can't see... It's a really good point, because I hadn't really thought about that. Maybe season out of Europe wouldn't be the worst thing. You know, at the moment we're on sort of stick or twist because it's Champions League or nothing, like it's looking like, and we'd obviously rather have Champions League than not. But if we had to say Europa League or nothing, maybe because I don't think anyone would leave. Maybe 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 it would be really good, and maybe I think that, I think that they they would leave. I mean, 
for example, there have been some rumors about Chaka wanting to go back to, to Germany uh, to play there. And I just think that sometimes us as fans uh, of, of the Arsenal and everything, we just think that, oh, who would come here when we are so, uh, to put it like that, shit, and uh, playing mid-table in Premier League. Well, this is still literally mid-table in Premier League, the best league in the world. There are like hundreds, if not thousands of clubs that would kill for a place like this. And even more of more players to be like that, to be play in uh, such a club and, you know, live in London and work with uh, fantastic players like uh, Obama Young and the um, uh, young and upcoming manager as, as Arteta and all of that. I think there's still a pull there for incomings. And I always think that, even if we now think that, oh, why would Lacazette leave? He's good here. He has a nice paycheck. He doesn't have to try a lot and all that. We had that case with Ezo. I think that that was a bit of a you know situation there that he was uh, okay here and liking there. But still, the there is so much more happening behind the scenes than just what we see now. And I think that even if someone doesn't want to go, I think that the board and manager can influence that decision as well a bit right before we go Slavia Prague away Thursday night Arsenal need at least a result they have to score faith optimism hope yeah someone 2-0 2-0 I'm sure yeah I I think I've seen someone tweet that uh, this 1-1 is actually a good thing which is really bad thing to say but you know when you put it in a way that uh Yes, Arteta will now go 100% in, prepare the, the players, the team, the setup and everything to go for the match and go for the win. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a I silly, wonder. It's, it's a silly take, but I think that it will win. I, yeah, me too. I do think we'll win. And my concern is um, maybe how much we wait. Now that the results have gone against us today, you know, with Villa winning at the moment, I think still, and Leeds have just won. I mean, that puts us in serious pressure for the Premier League and we can't really fudge tomorrow. And I was kind of hoping that it would be the opposite today and Liverpool would City would do what they normally do and win. And at least we could play a second rate-ish team tomorrow. But I kind of don't think we can do that anymore. And that scares me. Um, if we don't get any more injuries and Erdogan is back and Emil Smith-Rowe can play, I'm confident we will comfortably win. If not, we're going to make it the hard way, but I think we'll grind it out. I think we will. I think if Mikel Arteta has shown us anything, He's a cup team player in some way. <laughs> uh, you know, we are where we are. We won the cup last season. We've beaten some big play, big teams in big moments. Um, we seem to struggle through each and every one of them. But so far, we haven't actually been let down apart from Olympiacos last season. So uh, I'm quietly, quietly confident, um, but also quietly absolutely terrified. This, this, is, this is the point where I chime in and say Slavia Prague haven't lost at home all season. Oh, you're joking. Okay, it's a 2 2 draw. We go through then. <laughs> that would be me. That would be me. Not even in the Champions League. Who did they play in the Champions League? Uh, Bayer Leverkusen uh, and a couple of other teams off the top. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've really put you on the spot there. Paul. I don't know why you'd expect to know <laughs> Slavia Prague's uh, home, you know, Champions League group. But. Um, yeah, I that that I didn't know that, and that does scare me. And that's without fans. Um, they're not a bad side, Slavia Prague, but they're not not a great side. I mean, they've beaten Rangers and Leicester. They have beaten Rangers and Leicester. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a very good. Did, who? How did they get on it? Well, they must have. They mustn't have won um, at, at Slavia Prague because obviously they haven't lost home all season. So they're they're not an easy team to beat. Um, if we do go out to Slavia Prague, I I, I do worry for. For the fan base, a lot. Um, <laughs> it's a glass half full. It's it's uh, better to go out to Slavia Prague than Unai Emery in next round. Yeah, the, the, gla- <laughs> the glass. Mm. The, the, the glass. Yeah. Hate that. The glass is half full. But I I fear what it's full of, and I fear, <laughs> and, I, and, and I fear who will get thrown over. Now, frankly, you want Arsenal. more glass half full? Dinamo will beat Villarreal. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah, and then like Dinamo, Dinamo could do the London double. <laughs> North London double. No, yeah, I think terrifying. that I would, I would hate that more than Villarreal. Mm. Is that the Croatian coming? Is that, that that's the view from the Croatian yeah. president of the Arsenal fan club there? 
but we're we're going to wrap it up there, listener. Uh, thanks to Anita Sambal. Yeah, it was it was fun, even though the times are not really fun. Yeah, we'll get. Don't worry, you get used to it. Pessimism is fine. And thanks to Toby Parks. Toby, where can anyone catch you on a regular basis? So we, um, you can find us primarily uh, on a podcast. So uh, the Arsenal editor, which you can search on Spotify. It's what a plug. Um, but mainly on Instagram as well. So Arsenal underscore editor but thanks for coming on it's been it's been really fun even though it's been slightly depressing because of where we are um i'd love to come on again but thank you yeah. very much no no you'll definitely thanks you'll so. definitely be messaging in the near future sir thank you very much and <laughs> thanks to you listener for getting this far we will talk to you next week good luck